Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comic books and graphic novels, and on episodes like this, talk to the fantastic people who make them. Today I'm joined by Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan to talk about their new image comic book, Kill Your Darlings. Hey Griffin and Ethan, how are you doing? Uh, fantastic dallas thank you for having us here you have such a professional podcast (sighs) intro which like ethan and i have spent a long (laughs) time podcasting and it is something that we still just don't have we just don't it's like i mean we try sometimes some sort of on rosenberg we're always trying to give it like a tight intro and he's like stop it why are you doing that i think people (laughs) don't even think it fits us at this point it's true i don't know Well, thank you very much. It balances out my very minimal editing style. Oh. You know, I like to keep the erms, ums, and talking over each other's in. So mm. I like that. I appreciate Absolutely. it. It yes. does. Yeah, yeah. My, my friend Matt Draper said it creates verisimilitude. It feels like you're in a room with a bunch of annoying nerds. I was like, that's Absolutely. what we're going for. It's a great phrase. Great phrase. <laughs> so... <laughs> Your book, Kill Your Darlings, you've described Mm -hmm. it as a passion project, something you've been working on together for years and you're excited to see now go out into the world with fantastic art from Bob Quinn, by the way. Great poll. That's awesome. We'll talk about that. (laughs) You're telling me, man. Yeah. How would you pitch your book to our listeners? Do you want to go first or should I? I can go. Uh, I think that the, uh, the... I don't love a this meets that situation because, you know, it inherently feels a little weird to immediately compare our work to other people's work. However, mm-hmm. it is the easiest way to get the concept of the book across by tying it to things that people are already aware of. And the press release for the book uh, has it compared to Narnia meets Hereditary, the Ari Aster horror film. And for me, that's like, pretty that feels pretty spot on i think yeah. uh in terms of the t- the sort of flavor it's it's a, f- a horror fantasy and the type of fantasy we're doing is like big mystical magical like world where you know this little girl from our world is a a warrior princess and the type of horror that we're doing is very uh existential and kind of like filled with dread hopefully uh, so I would say that's a, a pretty good summation of, of what the book is. It's, it can be fun and light on its feet, uh, and also r- really upsetting, uh, mm. at, at other points. So, and on, and on the very literal plot level, yeah, it's, it's a little girl who, who, who always, who, you know, every, every evening runs away to her, her fantasy world that she's you know, created in her mind. She's she's the most creative kid you could imagine where she's got character designs and maps and, and blueprints and, and on construction paper. Um, and that is her comfort is this world that she's created. And then uh, one, you know, one day there uh, she finds that it's not how she left it. It's much, much worse. And there there's a monster at the center of it. And uh, it might be a lot more real than she thinks. And so that line kind of starts to get blurred as things get scary and violent. And uh, it ends up being this long story about her life uh, and uh, trying to hang on to that uh, that kid that she is at the start. I love mm-hmm. that. I I think that tone of fun fantasy and existential horror is perfect for a little girl protagonist. Every right. little girl I've ever met, both my sisters included, are <laughs> joyous, fun, and deeply terrifying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's just, like 
watching Asteroid City recently, those three little mm. girls were the most accurate on-screen <laughs> depiction of every little girl that age I've ever met. It's like, that is an off-putting thing to say. What's going on here? A little noggin. <laughs> Yeah, what? I mean that's that was that was part of the you know when we were figuring out Rose's voice, it did take a lot of like thinking about like every child we had ever met, and we both have younger siblings, and so it wasn't hard to go back to like what was the kind of shit they were saying when they were you know eight nine years old, uh, and yes, it is like odd. It can it can be oddly adult sometimes. It's mm-hmm. like the the bizarre part of how kids speak sometimes. That's I think that that's something that was super important about her is that like yeah she'll surprise you like like she's she's mm-hmm. a little wise beyond her years and in some ways she's really not uh and but she's certainly gonna grow up too fast um and that ends up being you know kind of the direction her life heads. Where did the decision to forefront an eight year old little girl in this story come from? How did Rose become your protagonist? Well, that I think that came from the sort of like original germ of the story, which was just which it, it like the, the we've we've been working on this for so long and it's gone through so many iterations like it's it's literally been about 3 years at this point and um and the original nugget was like some imagery um that really like had to do with that that kind of thematic tonal thing we're talking about where it was like the original thing was like crayon drawings that a child has done uh but you know and they're cute and they're fun but as you're sort of flipping through them, you get to one that has something in it that's not just like, oh, weird monster, but it's like really warped and like it doesn't feel like it should be there. It feels really wrong. Um, and the way that those that, that sort of terror um, is just like peanut butter and jelly with how much fun you can have with 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 a really childlike sense of kind of wonder and abandon. And um, and so it was it. It was, you know, that naturally leads to, okay, so it's a kid and things are going wrong for this kid. But then even especially just as the story kept developing, uh, I, I think we've come to realize more and more that it, you know, it's a story about your your inner child and your inner creativity and, and all of that. And so um, it, it the themes of the book just started really speaking through a kid. Um, and what we wanted to say, I think, became really relevant uh, the more that character became defined yeah yeah i think uh it just felt natural if we're gonna have a fantasy world in it to come into that through the eyes of someone who would probably imagine a fantasy world in their spare time that being an eight-year-old so i think that that just felt natural if we were like well we want to have narnia world uh you know how do we do that and how what's, what's the best pov to have going into that world and I think Rose is the perfect, the perfect protagonist for that. Yeah, um, I think definitely if you're talking like nuts and bolts, for sure. It's like, because I, I don't think either of us are big, like, you know, we, we love fantasy, but we're not, you know, we're, we're not, we're not writing tomes of lore or anything. And it's like, so the kind of fantasy that I think really like uh, gets us having fun, gets us jazzed is like, is the kind of kid would come up with where it's just like, just like absurd. It's just the weirdest elements thrown together. Uh, and it's, and that's a world I'd want to live in is the one that that this this little girl comes up with because uh, you never you really never know what's around the corner. <laughs> so how much of the character and world design of Rose's world came from you two and how much of it came from collaborating with Bob Quinn, who mm. dear listener, he just came off of Knights of X, if you are yes. familiar with the name, another great fantasy tome that yeah. 
frankly, he's leveled up from in this book, which I did not think was possible. Definitely. He's also currently the, putting out Alligator Loki, worth noting, too. Yeah, Alligator Loki is a very adorable, lot of fun. Uh, yeah. adorable strip as well. Yeah, That's that's over on Marvel Unlimited currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to give a, a plug to Marvel Unlimited, but there is going to be a print <laughs> edition coming out. I mostly, you know, I want folks to see Bob's work. His cartooning in that is, uh, is a lot of fun. As far as also, you said he he's leveled up from Knights of mm-hmm. X to this. I would completely agree. I think he would agree. He's, he's told us a couple of times that it feels like he's turning in the best pages of his career just with every <laughs> every issue. Uh, and I, I think really what the big difference comes down to is not only, you know, Ethan and I hopefully letting him just like do his thing. Uh, but also he never gets to color his own work uh, mm. before this point, or at least very rarely has he been able to color his own stuff. Um, and just the, the the way that his process works, it just lends itself very nicely to him being the one to color his, his pencils and inks. And when he does, uh, it's just like a whole different ball game than when he's just doing pencils and inks yeah. i think whenever and colors come in that's the best day of the week because it's yeah, like it, he's it got just such a completely sense of changes lighting. it it just comes mm-hmm. it's like that's when it really comes to life and it's like holy shit this thing is <laughs> yeah. this thing's real yeah. <laughs> yeah as as far as the design of everything um there are there are some designs uh that are just right in the script uh and then but but the general look and feel of her world uh we we sort of just gave him a couple of like little touchstones and he ran with it completely uh and there there's a piece of concept art maybe we can share it with you maybe you can share it with your listeners there was a sketch he did while we were just on a call one day of Mm -hmm. like what the the fantasy world rosewood is what it's called uh looks like and uh i i remember we were all just like what the fuck okay yeah it looks uh, (laughs) looks great (laughs) we very we very rarely had to like be like all right let's stop and like design this thing because he's just he's got such great instincts he he's like he's always been so thoroughly on the same page as us it's weird because i feel like the book is very specific and it's and it's it's kind of strange um, but I just feel like as soon as we told him about it, he was just dialed right in uh, and and excited. And like it, it just felt like we yeah, we've been on the same wavelength the whole time. He just nails it. I love that. So you have your fantasy tome. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about the existential horror. Yeah, How mm-hmm. do you feel like as writers, you are best able to create the kind of tension needed for existential horror in a comic? Mm. well i mean to me it's like that the balance is is what does it because uh we we were just talking on another podcast about this and i I felt like we really hit the nail on the head as far as how i feel about it which is that like it you, you if you're not letting the audience rest at any point they are either sort of like clutching their heart because they love a character or then they're clutching their heart because they're worried that character is going to be taken away. It's like, I think, I think you, you always want to be sliding between those two things. And I think the tone balance of this book is like, so on purpose where we, we want you to be having like the most fun that we can make you have. Like, this is the silliest, most fun thing we could think of. 
And then just straight after, like not wasting a second, being like, this is the most fucked up thing we could think of. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, and that, you know, those being paired together, making you, yeah, be like, oh no, like I, I, this thing that I was just having so much fun with now I'm like, now I'm worried about it. Um, and I think, I think that's like been the main tool to building the tension is like, you any moment that we're we're relaxed or we're taking a, a breather or we're just having a silly time there's always something lurking there's always the feeling that mm-hmm. yeah but wait the story's not over there is still something that is clearly going to continue to go wrong yeah i think well issue so you you've you've read issue one Issue one is the first comic book Ethan and I have ever written. Uh, and so in terms of learning what tools we we really have in our tool belts as uh, as writers, we were pretty much discovering uh, while working on that issue. And it, it has become it, it became really clear that the way that we, I think, like to build tension is is the juxtaposition of images from page mm-hmm. to page. Uh from panel to panel, we have a lot of really uh, strong, uh, and I, I don't know if I'm saying strong in terms of like what you'll you'll think this is like a crazy fucking page turn reveal, but like mostly uh, strong in terms of the juxtaposition, some page turn reveals forthcoming in the series and in issue one that are uh, really intense. We got one back last night that is just really really intense and i think it's that sort of like drop uh from like oh this is so fun to oh no it's like that immediate sort of whiplash is what we are trying to hone on this book and i think is our main our main way of creating tension is being like Hmm. oh page one is so cute and nice and flip oh god page two is so fucked (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and to be clear uh we've written a ton of stuff this is just the first yeah. thing anyone's gonna see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we like we've been you know we've been working on uh on stuff for a long time and trying to get stuff off the ground but yeah this is the first time to be truly taking the stage and so like you said i i, I liked how you put that of like we're learning all the the tricks that we have and i and like it, it is it's been a really interesting process like being like okay how, how, how do we approach something like the tone balance? And it's like, okay, well, what, what are our strengths in that area? And then not only trying to identify those, but then immediately going, how do we crank that up and take it as far as we can? Because we're making our first impression, you know, like, uh, there's, there's a lot going on in this book (laughs) for us personally. (laughs) So clearly you both have a fondness for comic books, the people that make them, the medium Mm -hmm. as a whole, what made, comic books the best medium for you to tell this story um i think (laughs) it it really was i don't know if it was that we had the story first and then decided Mm -hmm. that it was going to be a comic book i think you know it really became a moment where uh ethan and i were not really sure what we were doing with our lives (laughs) as we (laughs) as we turned like 21, 22. Uh, and it was getting to that point where like, I was about to graduate college and everything. And I was like, I don't fucking, I don't know what's, what's happening. I, I had like passions and everything. And I loved comic books. I think the main thing for both of us is we both love storytelling. And so when the sort of 
like North Star suddenly came through the clouds of like, maybe Ethan and I, maybe we could make comic books together. And we sort of looked at each other and gave each other the thumbs up and sort of just started the marathon sprint to getting to this point. And so it was never really like, oh, we have this story. Is it a screenplay? Is it, um, you know, is it a movie? Is it a show? Is it a novel? Uh, it was already just like, we're going to make a comic book. What mm-hmm. is a great story that we have in our arsenal that would fit the right. comic book medium? Uh, I.e., what is a story that we have that can be so intensely visual mm-hmm. uh, and and allow us to play with all of the tricks of the comic book medium? Uh, and so the, the story was developed just specifically as a comic book. There was never anything else. There was never a question of us doing something else with it. Uh, It was, we're making a comic book. What's going to be the coolest comic book we can make? Mm. We looked at the list of story ideas. Oh, this one, clearly this one, I think. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect fit because the, the book is about many things, but it's, it is definitely about art. And, and just this first issue is, is filled with, you know, artwork from our main character and it's, I, I think there's just sort of like in its DNA, this idea of like creativity and being an artist and, and, uh, and how that works. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's just been a perfect marriage of medium and, and story. I think you're absolutely right. One of the biggest strengths of comic booking that I, I am writing novels is what I'm doing. And I am consistently frustrated at how to get across imagery in an efficient way and i yeah. look at the comic books i love and i'm just jealous i'm jealous <laughs> yes. of an artist's ability like you said earlier to ju- juxtapose images and immediately yeah. sell a tone to build a world with a single image that mm-hmm. a reader can almost take in in passing and you're just in that world yeah. and so i think with this book being rooted in two distinct worlds and that juxtaposition being important to the story, you're absolutely playing to the strengths of the comic book medium. Right. And Bob, and Bob, you know, he can do that. He can give you one panel and just imply so much. He's yeah, he's doing. He's doing again. Coming back to him coloring it, he's doing so much. The, these tonal shifts and juxtapositions in the duality duality of the book, uh, a lot of it working. I think comes down to. Bob and his ability to shift the tone uh, not in like we, we can only do so much with like what we're saying the images are and, and the dialogue and everything but Bob shifts the tone completely by taking the color palette and going from like super saturated fun colors to super neutral uh, and like natural lighting and so yeah, like we're, we're talking about it. I think it's just so perfect for comics because we can just turn on a dime from either between panels, between pages, whatever. We can immediately shift uh, the feeling of the image to help get you to the uh, the different tonal spot that we want the book to be sitting in. Yeah, definitely. So you both have talked in the back of this book and your emails and press releases about how personal this story is is to you you've talked about this as a story about art about storytelling could you talk with us a little bit about i guess where 
where that personal touch is in the story. Mm-hmm. Like, what about Kill Your Darlings is uniquely Griffin and uniquely Ethan? Yeah, I can start off. It's just like it. Um, like I said, it's evolved so much, and and it has just like I think like a snowball just like continued to accrue meaning for us um, because it's it's been this continuing th- thing through pretty distinct different eras of our lives, um, and where it started is is as a, is as that first seed in one of the darkest periods of our lives and a lot of people's lives, um, and it it's but it didn't you know, begin as like an angry thing or like an, an overly depressing story. I think it's always been, you know, s- somewhat optimistic and, and like, um, and it's not, it's not supposed to be representative of that kind of dark time, but it was, it did come from a place of like, we got to talk about some mental health stuff because we have a lot of that going on. And of course there's so much of that in horror. Um, and we never wanted it to be just that it's like, Oh, it's the book where, you know, the monster is, is, uh, is sadness or whatever. It's like, we wanted it to be more than that, but it definitely had that kind of center. Um, but then going from that really dark time and us trying to build out of it and sort of build our own lives, figure out who we are as artists, um, figure out, you know, what our point of view is, um, I think it's, yeah, like I said, just continue to accrue these meanings where it's like, yeah, this has this has ended up being a book about some really hard things that we've dealt with both in recent years and in our childhoods, um, of course. Um, but it's also, yeah, it, it, it as it has gone on, it's become a book about making a comic book for the first time. It's become a book about uh, getting in touch with the part of yourself that is creative um, and and feels like a kid, you know, and feels like you can get excited about things and stay excited about things, stay excited about one project for three years. Like, um, and so, yeah, it's about, it's about all of those things. Um, and, you know, maybe that sounds like a clusterfuck, but I think it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds pretty cool too, Ethan, if I do say so myself. I don't know. I thought I, I sort of disagree with what you said, uh, I do think not the whole thing, but like I do think that I think it's yes, about guns. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's a single gun in the whole book, but sure, there's, I don't think there is. <laughs> um, uh, it was the the spark of it did happen, yeah, during a really dark time, mm. uh, and I think the first version of the book had a real mean streak in it. Uh, And Mm. it was uh, a lot of like, how can we sort of batter the reader with, we've, we've said like that the, the book has like some of the most upsetting stuff we could think of in it. And that is true, but it's Mm. also, but it is walked back a little bit because I think the first version of the book did have literally like at every single turn, it's the most upsetting thing we could have in there. Yeah, and no, you're at right. some point, right. <laughs> just, yeah, at some point it became like, Oh God, like, is this actually like a cathartic experience uh, to, to, uh, to read? And, and is this really what we want for the character? And of course, when we started seeing more of ourselves and more of it being about the creative process, I think, naturally we were like we don't want rose to go through this and i don't think the reader will want rose to go through this uh and so it shifted i think as we sort of worked through our emotions and we have been able to learn more about 
ourselves as individuals, ourselves as a duo while writing the book. And that I think has led to uh, those, some of those personal realizations being in the, in the narrative for sure. That's a great point uh, because there's some stuff that we can't talk about yet that, that, that will happen later in the book that with the revelations that will come are the same, but the conclusions sort of drawn from them have changed over the years uh, by the end of the story. Uh, and that yeah. is because we have gotten older and evolved. Um, and so, yeah, the book is, is like, a biological living thing it's continued to grow and change with us and uh and yeah i think it's representative of so many things about us and we were a lot angrier a couple of years ago <laughs> we're, i think we're doing okay now <laughs> i think we're i think we're doing i think we're doing pretty good ethan yes yeah. i would say so i'm very tired but that's that's about it yeah. aren't we all <laughs> they sure haven't let us rest these last we went from angry to tired as a world uh-huh. yes yes and I, I got a feeling we're gonna creep back into angry real soon here <laughs> oh are we <laughs> it'll be it'll be just in time to start the next book <laughs> yes yes happen to a little bit of that so <laughs> I'm so curious about the co-writing process. Oh, I yeah. have never participated in anything like that. I right. feel like it's it's so interesting to me. Can you talk a little bit about like how you two script, how you two create stories as a pair? Are there certain things that one of you finds you're much better at than the other one? And so you take that or is it different every time? I just want to hear about your process. Griffin, do you want to tell about how we almost broke up as friends and co-writers? <laughs> <laughs> you already had the falling out before yeah, the yeah, yeah. Out of the that's, yeah. It's honestly kind of that. That is kind of the reassuring thing is that yep. it did feel like we almost walked up to the edge of a cliff a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know if our friendship was ever necessarily no, at stake, no, Ethan. No, no, thank you for revealing not. that to me, though, <laughs> like on this podcast. Hickerin's like, I gotta go. I got some anger again, actually. <laughs> I gotta go script. I'll anger, call you yeah. after this. We'll talk. I'm gonna, um. I'm gonna pull up my therapist, writer do it. Um, throw him in. Yeah. Uh, so, Ethan and I are really, are very different uh, writers. Writers. I think we have a lot of very similar instincts storytelling wise which is like a really broad you know uh concept and part of the writing process that's like the really vague part that needs to be sort of brought into reality by writing but we have very similar storytelling instincts however in terms of how we want to execute those ideas very different uh and when we started writing the book you know, we were also sort of learning to, we were learning how to really write comics, you know, period, both like as an individual and as a duo at the same time. And so that was kind of a painful process where I think we were open with each other and saying a couple of things that we thought could be holding us back uh, as a duo uh, where I'd be like, Ethan, I feel like you're doing X, Y, and Z. And he would be like, Griffin, I feel like you're doing X, Y, and Z. That, and those things are, are keeping us held back. And I think we were receptive to those things from each other and we worked through them. And then when it came down to actually writing the book, it was like, how do we, how do we do this? I don't know. How about you write a draft and then we'll sort of talk about it and then I'll take it and I'll do a pass on it. 
and that was kind of working for a little while. It worked enough to get like the bedrock of it down, but it was a painful process because Ethan would like if Ethan was starting a draft, starting like an issue off, he would fill it with all of his sort of ideas and feelings about how to do it all. And then I would get it and naturally have different instincts and kind of go all over it and vice versa. When we would sort of switch off and I would start it and we'd be full of my ideas and then Ethan would come in and cover it up with his ideas. And then we'd both mm-hmm. get them back and be like, we would just be on the phone for hours being like, well, why the hell did you change this? Like this was right. good. And like, well, cause it's, so, a, it's such a personal process and we're trying to write a personal book. And so it's like, yes, it, it just ha- constantly rewriting each other. It was, yeah, it was it, just like, oh, what the fuck are we doing? Like, it's, it, it's like, it wasn't like, working. Yeah, and by the time we got to, we wrote the first like two issues as they are going to be published like that. And mm-hmm. when we got down to doing notes on the third issue, um, it literally was coming down to like extremely pedantic stuff. And like, uh, there was a call that I just still remember viscerally. Uh, <laughs> of uh, both of us just being like what the fuck dude this sucks is this <laughs> is this always going to suck and <laughs> and 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 part of that is the writing process stuff and part of it is because we've been working on it for so long uh I've used the phrase in the past that we've gone creatively stir crazy on it yeah. a little bit because for so long we were like working on it, working on it, working on it, but it wasn't being drawn. It didn't have a publisher. It was mm. just like so static, but we kept mm. trying to have it evolve. But because it was just us still, it was really hard to do that. Right. And so by the time we got to, you know, issue three and Bob was actually drawing it and we were like, are we, is this what we're calling this character? Is this how we want, <laughs> you know, this, this line of dialogue to sound? It just got <laughs> so painful. And I think what it really came down to is we had a conversation about it. We said it it ended up lining up really nicely where it was just kind of like, okay, what parts of it do you like? And what parts of it do I like? And it ended up lining up perfectly where I was like, I am all about the visuals and the execution of like, this is panel one, two, three, four, turn one, two, so on and so forth. What are, what are in those images? And I love getting in there and laying down the groundwork to the point of like, this works on a visual level, completely on its own. You can go through the images and have a pretty good understanding of what's going on without any of the dialogue. That's my thing. Cause I, I came from my first love being filmmaking. And so I was very entrenched in visual storytelling in college and in most of my life really. And so that's where my passion lies. And it just so happens that Ethan is like, great. I love doing all of the character work, like the dialogue, getting notes in there about acting uh, and and making sure that if I am sort of the engine of it and pushing, propelling the story forward on the visual level, Ethan is steering it in all the right ways to get the character stuff across and get the narrative information that you need across uh, to make sure that you're getting the complete and full story and so once that happened once we came to that realization we were like okay you know what let's just scrap issue three let's just start at the beginning let's just go from there and i'll do a skeleton of like just panel breakdowns no dialogue whatsoever uh 
and then I'll hand it up to you. You'll do the dialogue. And then suddenly we have a full draft. Mm-hmm. And lo and, and behold, and, and, the first and, you know, time we did that, we were like, this is really good. Yeah. What the and, hell? We, and you know, there, there's no, there's no surprises. Like we get in there and we discuss everything first and we make all the decisions yeah. together about everything that's going to happen. And then we do that where, yeah, Griffin's Griffin's directing the shit and I'm, you know, I'm writing what everybody's saying and doing together and whatever. And then, and then at the end we discuss and we figure out if either of each other's shit needs to move around. And it's just like allowing ourselves to sort of have, control of our own particular departments and then those departments kind of you know speak to each other and and figure out what needs to change that just like i cannot explain how much that freed us up and like made the process like a joy and like now it's just like we're just moving like a train like it's just crazy yeah it is crazy how much more efficient how how Mm -hmm. much faster we're moving through scripts now that that's how it is because we have had like the plot and this like the the story of it all in our heads for a really long time. So now that that's all settled uh, and we have this new process down, it's so much easier. And I think the book is so much better for it. I I think issues one and two are great. I'm so happy with them. I'm so proud of them, but I do think, I do think there's a possibility people will get to issue three and be like, something feels a little different here. And then by the time (laughs) you get to four, certainly it's like, Oh, they've hit their stride. I think one uh, and, and two think, are, are are stand up as strong as the rest because we pulled all the teeth and banged our heads against the wall until we yeah. reached the level that we were able to more easily reach later. Um, yeah. And it's so important. I really want people to like if we could give advice, like because we've heard so much. We've heard people be like, "Oh, you guys are co-writing." You know, every Good duo explodes, <laughs> uh, and it's like, and and that sucks because you should be able to make stuff with your friends, as Brian Michael Bendis says. And uh, and if I like, I would want to impart to people, like, for the love of God, if it feels like pulling teeth, figure out what it is that you love about the process as individuals, and then figure out how to allow each person to do those things in a way that doesn't have you stepping on each other, like allow each other to kind of thrive in the space in the areas you love the most. Um, And what it really negotiate in between. Yeah. I guess to answer your question in the broadest, easiest sense is it comes down to a lot of trust. Uh, And Ethan and I have been friends for a decade now and have, and have spent a large amount of that friendship talking about stories, both other people's and our own. And so once it came down to the point of Ethan saying, I trust you to come up with what the good visuals are in the book. And for me to be like, I trust you to write some banging dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, That is, uh, that's all, all it really is, is having complete faith in your creative partner. Absolutely. Um, Well, and, and that I think goes for both, you know, if you're co-writing or also your relationship with an artist or an editor or a letterer, or, you know, if you're writing novels, you've got an editor. If you're in filmmaking, you've got a, just a whole sea of collaborators. Just trust them. You picked them, assumably, or someone else put the team together, hopefully in good faith, and knows what the what they're doing. And everybody knows what is going on and knows yeah. their, their department, so to say. So just let them do it, and it's going to turn out yeah. great. Absolutely. Was that a long enough answer for you? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, sorry. It was exactly what I wanted. Sometimes okay, in these interviews, cool. I 
end up just I'm like I'm gonna ask what I'm interested in and like yeah, yeah. listeners you can go like yeah. whatever you want that was something I was interested in it's your okay, podcast good. man exactly yeah, absolutely no mm-hmm. one else needs to be here just me it's your fact, <laughs> turn off the podcast right now no I'm just kidding um <laughs> I just I want to say this is an immensely impressive debut issue of oh, comic book like thanks man what an accomplishment to create this to exist in this sphere like we do Mm -hmm. and make the shift from like being a part of it as a fan and as someone who has relationships in the comic book industry into being someone who is a part of the comic book industry making a story putting something a piece of yourself out into the world that's something i want to do i think that's something that a lot of people listening to this want to do and i just want you both know it's impressive you did oh, it and it's impressive you, so you did it well i hope you it means a lot you. it's really i hope you think in that yeah it has been like... hard it's yeah. been really difficult to see the forest through the trees for most of this and there are moments where we'll be able to step back and go oh no shit this is pretty sweet <laughs> but for the most part we have just had our heads down and just trying to just like willing it into existence uh mm-hmm. we just chatted with with Bendis about this last night about mm-hmm. visualization and so much of the process being just picturing it and turning the thing in your mind into reality both the act of making it and putting it into existence and of course like you know the actual story uh and so I think if anybody is sitting there saying like damn I do want to make comic books Dude, nothing really started clicking until we quit our day jobs and said we're making comic books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was the moment that everything shifted was when we decided to go all in on the passion. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you can only do that to an extent. It's a really tough time. Uh, You got to be able to survive. I totally understand that. And it has been tough. Uh, But if you want to do it, do it. Quit your jobs. Chase your dreams. Quit your jobs. Chase your dreams. I also think, depending on when you're listening to this, it may still not have fully hit us yet because all of our many mentors and and father figures uh, are telling us that uh, uh, that the, the full feeling will not land on us until we have the physical book in our hands, uh, and it's still a couple weeks away. Uh, so I think uh, you know, yeah, if you're listening to this in the future, we might have died from happiness of getting our comps in the mail. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see i strategically sent you know i i bounce around from lease to lease so i don't have a consistent address so i just sent my comps to my parents house on the opposite <laughs> side of the state so it's just going to get to a point where ethan's like my comps came in and i'm like fuck i gotta drive four hours now to go <laughs> them up. so there will be like kind of a build-up for me before yeah. i get them but yes yeah that's gonna be a crazy moment for sure that rules. Uh, do you two have any last things that you want to say to the listeners before we go? Oh my God, please go pre-order the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> final order cutoff for issue number one is August 13th. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of really great covers. Bob's covers for uh, the whole series are wraparound covers this this design mm-hmm. of these covers came from our letterer designer john j hill who is a genius and mm-hmm. uh every cover is a wraparound and is like a complete piece of art and mm-hmm. i'm so in love with them uh each issue is also gonna have a variant by ryan stegman uh right. which uh pff, 
so uh, crazy is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never stop staring at the issue one variant. It's yeah. the greatest thing that's uh, ever happened. And those are obviously baller. You can order, they're both open order. So if you, if you want yep. one or the other, you can just let your comic shop know. But yeah, please pre-order the book, Kill Your Darlings, number one. We've put so much heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into it. And we really, really think it's something special. And we think you'll think it's something special. Uh, yes, it would, it would make a couple of uh, supple boys very happy if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, please, please pre-order. We would, we would love to make stuff. Uh, for people for a very long time uh, and comic you know the comic industry is built on pre-orders so please do it if you can um, and hope the book uh, hope you like it hope it makes you feel anything uh, even if that's a- anything. Just, <laughs> anything if you're like what, oh god I despise this thing. right if you Wait, despise that's it fine. Or, or you're like oh this is like this kind of speaks to me and and the way that uh, I got hurt in the past or you're just like this is cool because there's swords and monsters and whatever. All of that's great. Yeah. We'll take any and all of it. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. As yeah. long as you've given them your four dollars, you can have whatever yeah, feeling just, you want. Yes. All that matters. <laughs> yeah. We got into comics yeah. for the money, baby. <laughs> yeah, of course. And well, and the glamour. <laughs> yeah. You want people on the street to be like, "Holy shit, are those the supple boys?" Yeah. I've well, they do that already. Though. They do that already. That's yeah, true. We want them to be like, yeah. "Oh, I'm literally holding their comic book already." Yeah. Oh my uh, god, so. it's got their handsome faces in the back. Check it out. Mm. <laughs> 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 so look at that essay at the back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But we could also say at the end of the show, thank you so much for having us on. Because like yeah, we were man. saying before the show, you just had a bunch of, of A-listers on here. So appreciate you giving us a shot. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it means a lot. Appreciate it. Love the yeah. show. Thank you very much. Uh, you guys have put some fire in me as well. I'm going to go edit awesome. and fix my commas in my own thing right uh, now. There we I'm go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And everybody, That's again, kind of make sure go and check out Kill Your Darlings. Go Pre-order it like they said, and we will see you next week. Bye.